0: From the Kentucky New Era studios in Hopkinsville, it's the Young Sports Podcast. And now, here's your host, Chris Young.
1: Close, like that little strap to your shoulder. Close, like you've been since you slid over.
2: Welcome in for another episode of Young Sports, a weekly podcast focusing primarily on prep sports in Western Kentucky and around the entire Commonwealth. I'm your host, Chris Young, coming to you from the Kentucky New Era studios. This week, we are wasting no time in getting things started to ensure we give both of our esteemed guests plenty of time on the mic. The first of those joins me in the studio today and was kind enough to literally start his week by joining the show. On January 1st, 2015, he took office as the second youngest mayor in the history of Kentucky's sixth largest city here in Hopkinsville, and I am delighted to have this dedicated public servant, family man, and avid sports fan here on the Young Sports Podcast. Mr. Mayor Carter Hendricks, thank you immensely for taking the time today to join us.
0: Well, thanks, Chris. It's certainly my pleasure to be here bright and early on a beautiful Monday morning in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And I appreciate the very kind introduction. But most importantly, I'm the dad to Lily and Chase Hendricks, both good athletes in their own right and the husband of the one of the best volleyball coaches in the Commonwealth. In my humble opinion, coach Faye Hendricks, UHA's head volleyball coach.
2: And we'll, we'll get to all that stuff. And, and that's why we want to have you on is the fact. And I didn't want people to think that on this show, I'm already making the, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio turn toward the the political arena. But I I think that we really are blessed in this town to to have a mayor who is so active and who is such a proponent of of sports and that, and of athletics and what they provide and obviously your family is about as all in with local sports as you can get. As you mentioned uh, and you kind of took away a little bit of my, of my gusto there, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but, sorry about that. <laughs> but no, it, but it, it's a great, it's a great segue because, like you mentioned, you've got a wife who's a, a coach of volleyball and obviously helps with, with the track team. And we'll get to that at University Heights Academy. A, a, a daughter who, uh, as an eighth grader really emerged as one of the, the cities and the, the region's top volleyball players. Uh, and she can do other things too, playing basketball and, and can run a son who I know is an up-and-coming runner and doing some great things middle school-wise in the athletic scene. You guys do it all, and you're a Christian County grad yourself, 1991 grad, I believe, is that correct? correct. That's correct. You played sports yourself. Um, I don't want to miss them, so football – what all did you do at, at Christian County? What what were you involved with? Sure. Well, I, I grew up here in Hopkinsville, and
0: so started at a very early age playing little league baseball and uh, Bud Hudson football and junior pro basketball. I was never very good in basketball. Unfortunately, I was blinded in my left eye at an early age from a BB gun accident. So, anyone listening, if you've got kids or you are a kid, be careful with BB guns. You can, in fact, put your eye out just like a Christmas story teaches us. I, I had that humbling experience. So, basketball was never my thing, but football and track and wrestling is what i participated in in high school and uh, mixed a little power lifting in which i kind of say with a smile because i was a skinny kid uh, but i did power lifting just to have an excuse to work out in the off seasons uh, but really my tr- my true loves in sports were football and track as i got into high school grew up loving baseball but Uh, Once I got to a certain age and realized my speed was somewhat limited on a baseball field, uh, converted over to track in middle school and football and track became my two true loves in sports. And to this day are two sports that I love to be involved with in whatever capacity that I can. Um, But I, I just enjoy just about every sport. In fact, Chris, I think I've told you before, Maybe the best sport I I enjoy as a observer now is volleyball, especially girls' volleyball, because it's all about momentum, and a a lead is never safe in a volleyball match. I've seen a team come back from 24-15 to win a district championship. Maybe it was 23-15. I know it was something like that. And uh, there's just no lead that is safe in volleyball. But love all sports,
2: but it was football, track, and wrestling were the three sports I participated in high school. And we talked a little bit off the air before we got started the fact that you've had some pretty incredible coaches that you got to play and participate under. When you talk about the the, the Jim Perrins of the world, who were some of those coaches that really had the most impact on you and and folks that you still think about in terms of molding you and and putting you in that right direction, not just athletically but just as a man and and now into your your prefer personal professional life as the mayor. Who were the people that kind of got you to this point?
0: That's a great question, and if you don't mind, I want to give a little context to my answer before I, I give sure. the answer um, I've had a few people throughout the community say I'm too preoccupied with sports from time to time that they wish that I were more involved in other things like arts or or other um, aspects of the community which try to be involved with all of them but but I can't lie my passion lies with sports, and the reason it lies with sports is because I've seen and experienced firsthand when athletics are done right, the character that is developed, the type of people that are created as a result of athletics done right. Now, that's not to say it's not also being done in band and in 4-H and in other activities. I know that it is, but my personal experience came with athletics because of great coaches that I had. So I'll, I'll tell you some of the obvious coaches because they had such a big impact on me when I was in middle school and high school. So Coach Jim Perrin, Hall of Fame um, wrestling coach and, and softball coach, incredible coach in his own right. He coached me for three years of my wrestling career. And and I was not a very good wrestler, to be very honest about it. It was not a sport that I I gravitated towards naturally. I really started participating in wrestling because my best friend was wrestling, and I wanted something between football and track so I didn't get lazy in the winter months. But just in the three short years that I was honored to be able to wrestle under Coach Perrin, um, the amount of integrity that he taught me, uh, the the toughness that he instilled in his wrestlers, the discipline that he instilled in his wrestlers, wrestlers stick with me to this very day. And so Coach Perrin has to be right at the tip top. My head football coach, Coach Dan Goble, uh, to this day I consider a mentor and a friend. I um, had a chance to to talk with him recently at at the memorial service for Coach Terrence Forbes, who was a coach that came into my career late in my football career at Christian County High School. Uh, but Coach Goble just cares about his kids, cares about about the parents of his kids, just cares about people. So the compassion that I saw out of Coach Goble sticks with me to this very day. And the coach Ed Davis, who was my high, middle school and high school track coach, um, just recently inducted in the KHS Double uh, Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. Um, coach Davis coached in a very different way than Parent and Coach Goble. He was more humorous, more laid back. And yet still had high expectations for you and and was willing to push you out of your comfort zone. So I can remember my seventh grade year as an aspiring sprinter. Coach Davis, with his sense of humor, had me run against Al Baker, who was a senior at Trig County High School. Al Baker would go on to play University of Kentucky football, was an exceptional athlete. And one of the biggest jokes I like to share with track athletes is I had a real good view of of Al Baker's (laughs) rear end because that's all I saw running down the track. Uh, But Coach would push you out of your comfort zone. He would make sure that that you knew that he believed enough in you that even though you might not win this race, he knew you had the capability one day to win this race. So those are three right off the top of my head. But one of my favorite coaches of all time was in, in um, Little League Baseball, my 11- and 12-year-old year, and uh, Coach Johnny Adams, um, who's still a dear friend of my family's. And, in fact, his son John Adams and I are very, very close friends. Uh, you might have heard of Coach Adams. He was a coach over at Christian County High School, then down at Heath High School, mm-hmm. and now coaches down in McCracken County High School. But his dad, Johnny, coached me in my 11th and 12th, 12, 12-year-old 12 year of uh, Little League baseball, and we won two games in the course of two years. So we didn't, he's not one of my favorite coaches because we won a lot. In fact, we rarely won. But what he taught me was a humility about sports. He taught me how to have fun playing a sport that you loved, even if the wins weren't coming. And and frankly, Johnny uh, drafted, if you will, players, because I believe they had a draft back then, chose players that, that he didn't care if they were the best player. He wanted good kids who were going to have fun, who who were just going to go out and, and learn to love the sport of baseball. And so even though we didn't win many games those two years, and to some people that may be listening, how could you have fun losing? Sure. Those two of my best years of baseball that I can remember, not because of the wins, but because of the memories, because of the relationships and because of the truth that you're not going to win every match, every game that you're in, that you're going to learn how to lear- learn from losing and have fun with the process. And and I was made a much better athlete as a result of that. So those are the four that I put right at the tip top of people who had a significant impact in my life. And I'm very thankful uh, that I was able to play for them in the sports that I
2: played for them. And I think that that explanation and that answer does a really good job of painting the picture of why you are a lover and an advocate of sports, and the fact that it doesn't always have to be about the wins and the losses and who has the best ability and the most talent. It's really something that can make you better in life all the way around and make you a, a well-balanced person. And I, I get the sense that you got that uh, that experience as a, as a high school student athlete, and now you're passing that on and sharing that with your children and making sure that, that they're involved and, and not just playing one sport, and we'll get to that too, but playing multiple sports and being as involved as possible and maybe getting outside of their comfort zone and, and making themselves better people. I assume that you encourage – the, the youth across the not just Hopkinsville, but but anywhere to be that involved, if possible, to, to get, at least give it a shot when it comes to
0: sports. Oh, absolutely. And, and let me be fair. If, if sports aren't your cup of tea, then be involved in some extracurricular activity that's going to help balance you and round you out as a good human being. Obviously, I'm passionate about sports because that's my background. Uh, but again, if you're in 4-H, fantastic. If you're in band, that's fantastic. If you're in some other extracurricular activity, speech team or whatever it may be, then then get involved if you're not involved in those types of activities. But certainly sports. Sports is, a unique, um, is unique in its ability to, to truly round you and teach you about wins and losses and how to learn from a loss more than you learn from a win. Often we don't learn from wins. It masks our deficiencies and our failures, and we think because we won that everything must have been just perfect, and the truth is you're never perfect at any sporting event. really reminds me of something John Wooden used to say, uh, that, that if you're focusing on winning, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You focus on the process, and if you put the right process in place and you do things the right way throughout the course of practice and off-season conditioning and training – then game preparation will take care of itself because you're doing the right things for the right reasons. And when you focus on only winning, you focus on the wrong thing. The focus should be on the process and the process, if done correctly, will take care of the wins and the losses. And so absolutely, I would encourage any young person out there listening, um, get involved in sports. Um, get involved not because you want glory for your own individual self, but get involved because you want to be made better as a person and you want to be part of something that's bigger than your individual interest. That's the beauty about sports. It teaches us how to put aside self-interest for the interest of the collective. And and when you can do that and you can do that well, then your team has a much greater chance of success, which usually means winning.
2: When you ran for mayor of Hopkinsville, I know three words that, that you used pretty prominently uh, were... Positivity, passion, and then being persistent. Mm -hmm. Those are three things that I really believe can be applied to student athletes as well. I mean, those are, Mm -hmm. those are three things that if, if used correctly, those can make you successful no matter what the situation. But for our purposes here today, those three things are maybe the most three important things you can have when it comes to hitting the court, hitting the field, the track, the pool, wherever it might be. Why is it important to have those three things? in sports. Absolutely. And appreciate you bringing that up. I hadn't
0: said those three words, positive, passionate, and persistent enough recently. Uh, During my campaign year, I think I said about every fifth (laughs) sentence to the point that people were sick of hearing me talk about them. Uh, But as I was deciding to run for mayor, I was really looking for the words that I thought would best describe um, my my personal philosophy, and, and in a way that I could communicate that so others would understand what they were buying into should they vote for me as mayor. But it really did come from my athletic background, the idea that when you're positive about life, when you're positive about your own circumstances, then truly anything is possible. That instead of looking at the glass as half full or half empty, perhaps we look at the glass and we say, well, it's neither half full nor half empty. I have the ability to change the glass. I can pour more water into the glass if I want to. I can drink the water because I need some sustenance right now now, to go that extra mile, I can positively influence the future of my community, of my direction, of my team. So being positive to me is the foundation of, of being a successful athlete and a successful human being. And, and that's not always easy. You know, we live in a world where there's plenty of negativity. And, and I'm seeing that now as people express their opinion about different initiatives that we're working on. Um, there's a lot of cynicism and negativity. So if you're not careful, you can be, you can acclimate to that cynicism. And so for me, being positive is the first hallmark in making sure that you're the type of person and type of athlete that's going to have reasonable success in whatever endeavor you're pursuing. Being passionate is simply about finding what it is that makes you go, understanding why you wake up every day excited for life. When you find that passion, it's much easier to be positive because you're excited to do what you're doing and you know that there's a purpose behind what you're doing. There's meaning to it, that it's not just I'm going through the motions. I'm doing this because I have a burning desire to be successful at whatever this is. For me, it was football and track more than other sports. So I was passionate about being better at those two sports. Uh, and so being positive, passionate, and then persistence. I mean, persistence is the hallmark of success. I mean, if everybody quit the first time they failed, then this world would be all quitters because we all fell. And so thank goodness folks like the Wright brothers didn't quit after the first attempt. Amelia Earhart didn't quit after the first attempt. I could go down the list of great people that demonstrated persistence, but that's true for all of us. And it's particularly true in athletics. The persistent team is usually the team that wins, not the most athletic. The persistent one, the one that dives after every loose ball persistently, the one that plays great defense from the beginning tip-off to the to the to the last clo- uh, whistle, that persistence is usually what wins, and I think we see that in all aspects of life, not just in athletics, but that goes back to what we said earlier. When athletics are done right, they prepare you to be successful in life, and so if you are playing for a sport that teaches positive, passionate, and persistent, and you translate that into the workplace... Then I have no doubt you're going to be successful. Don't know how successful, but you'll be some level of successful, and uh, and so that's why I preach those things
2: not just during my campaign, but even today with teams that I'm involved with. We're talking with Carter Hendricks, the mayor of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and you mentioned, like you said, you're you're involved as a coach now. Pretty rare thing to have a, a mayor of a town also be a, a coach of a of a local high school sports program. But you are, and we talk about University Heights Academy, a school that I know is now near and dear to your heart. I know you didn't graduate from there, but you're an adopted Blazer now, and uh, I know you're a big supporter of the green and gold. Why did you want to get involved with coaching the track program? And that's really a, a group of, of young people that have grown by leaps and bounds just in the last couple of years. What has that experience been like, and how are you able to kind of balance – the crazy schedule that you do have as the mayor, but also be effective as a track coach? Sure. It's a great question.
0: Let me let me first clarify by saying I love all the local teams. I really do. Um, I grew up a Christian County colonel, and so I'm not going to hide that from anybody. So when I was at the game Saturday night watching the colonels play the Tigers at Lyle Dunbar Gym, um, I'm a colonel. And if that costs me a vote or something, because I happen to have graduated from Christian County, so be it. I don't want to lose votes, so don't anyone take that cavalier. But at the same time, I'm not going to hide who I am. I played sports there. I I, I sweat there. I I lost blood there. I cried there. Um, I celebrated victories there. Uh, So, of course, I'm a colonel, and I'll always be a colonel to some degree. So, at first, I would say I was a reluctant blazer. Um, I had to really get used to the idea of going over to UHA and cheering for their teams. But my wife was the volleyball coach there and teaches there. And so over time, it became very easy for me to be able to to learn to love the green and gold. Um, but I do want all of our teams to do well. And when they play one another, I try to stay as neutral as my emotions will allow me. Um, but I'm I'm not that neutral, depending on what the matchup is. Uh, but I do want them all to go as far as they can go. And ultimately, I want to see the best team go because I want to see teams from this district win state. And, and so I always like to see the best team go forward. Uh, but I got involved with the track program last year because as we got into January, um, I was made aware that the, the coaches of the previous season, which was the first season for UHA track, uh, weren't going to be able to come back. And I don't know all the reasons why they weren't coming back. I just was made aware they weren't going to be able to. And, uh, and so they didn't have a track coach coming into the second season. They had a couple good athletes coming back. One in Kawaikabite They had finished third in the 100 meter dash in, in the inaugural season for UHA track. So I knew that they wanted to have a good track coach. Um, I had coached track in 1996 at Hopkinsville High School with coach Jim Placer. That was my last experience coaching track since that time. I ran collegiately, um, at Center College and then at West Kentucky University for a couple of years. Um, but, So I had some background, but I hadn't coached track in 20 years going into last year's season. But when I realized they weren't going to have a coach, and it was in January and season was coming up fast, I simply mentioned to my wife, who is the head volleyball coach there, that I would be interested in doing it. And that we would speak to the athletic director, Grant Shouse, who is the head basketball coach there as well. And that if she would be willing to help me, because I knew I would need that help, uh, then, then I'd be willing to do it. And as it was, they were interested. And so Faye and I, that's my wife and I, Uh, decided to coach the track program in the second season. And uh, we were very honored to have a number of athletes come out. I think we ended up with 14 varsity, excuse me, 14 female with 11 varsity female athletes. And I think we had seven total boys with four varsity boy athletes. Uh, Comparatively, the first year, I think they had five total athletes or something like that. So the program grew a little bit in the second year. Uh, The boys did really, really well for for what they could do with just four varsity athletes. Mm -hmm. The girls ended up regional runner-up last year, so we were really excited about that. Um, but the schedule is crazy at times. Um, I'm able to do it because I've got a great staff at the city of Hopkinsville. Um, I spoke with them before making the decision to take the job last year and uh, made sure that they would all be comfortable with it. Uh, I mentioned it to my city council members as well because I didn't want them surprised by it, Uh, but it works because I've got a great family uh, who supports our decisions. My mother lives with me, which makes it easier on us to be able to, to extend ourselves the way that we extend ourselves. Um, and got a great team around us that, that was really willing to help make sure that nothing fell between the cracks. And I guess the great thing about being mayor is even though the mayor of Hopkinsville is considered a full time position, it's not an eight to five position. And and so there's not a clock that I'm punching in every day or that I'm punching out every day. And so as long as I knew I could make the schedule work and, and I try to prioritize so I wouldn't miss important meetings and important events Um, then we figured it was just a matter of having enough energy. And and usually I have enough energy, so that wasn't a problem.
2: Sure. When you talk about the UHA group and that that group of of student-athletes, kind of a neat selling point, I would think, is when you have a young program that really hasn't been around the block to this point, you can talk about somebody like Ali Cundiff, who became the first ever individual state runner-up this past season. You can kind of tell them, hey, you can go be – write the record books, the history books, and, and say, I was the first ever state champion or the first ever relay team to, to win a state championship in Class 1A or whatever it might be. Kind of neat that they have an opportunity to really make history within their program or within their school. And then maybe in 15, 20 years, look back and say, this booming track program, we were kind of the, at the, the forefront or at the, uh, the, the foundation of what is being built. Do they think about that? Is that something you ever talk about with them in terms of, of what they might be able to do?
0: Yes, they, they do think about that. We've used every sales pitch we could to get athletes <laughs> to our track and field team, and that certainly has been one of them, that, that this is a path for you to be able to compete at the highest level, um, that unlike other sports um, where even though it's about team, that it's also more specifically about your individual effort, and if you're willing to go put in the time, that There's no telling how far you can go in track and field, and, and Allie is a great example of that. Allie of had never run the 300 hurdles before the second season last year in UHA's history, and she finished state runner-up because she was willing to work hard enough to finish state runner-up, and she didn't have to depend on anybody else to get to that level. And that's a, That's a bit of self-empowerment, if you will. So track, to me, is one of those unique sports where we preach team, but you also aren't dependent on the team to have success. Now, if you're in a relay, that's a little bit different. Sure. But we absolutely use that as part of our sales pitch, that you're, you're a pioneer right now at UHA track and field. You're setting the course for, for teams to come after you. And, um, and the sky's the limit. If we get good athletes out there who are willing to work hard, then there's no telling what we can do in UHA track and field. And, and state championships are within our touch. Now, that doesn't mean we'll win one this year. A lot has to happen right at the state track and field meet for you to win a state championship. Track is a tough sport to win every event. I've seen the best athletes win every race up until the state track meet, clearly be the best athlete, but not win state. Maybe they got a bad block start. Maybe their hamstring was a little tight. Whatever it may be, you don't always win at the state track meet. But to be prepared to compete at the highest level, to be ready to do that, and to represent your school and community in a way that's going to bring a lot of positive attention to it is certainly track and field does that, and we use every angle we can to get more athletes out for our program.
2: Sure. You mentioned a lot of great names that were influential in your life and, and in terms of helping your career as a as a high school student athlete and beyond. What are some of the, besides the technique and the practice habits that you want to help them develop, what are maybe some of the, the lessons on and off the track that you try to teach your, your kids that are most prevalent to you? What do you kind of make your priority in terms of when at the end of the day, when they go home, whether they're a, a little bit better a runner or a, a thrower or a jumper or whatever it might be, how do you want them to be as a, as a person? What do you What do you tell them on a daily
0: basis? Absolutely, everything starts with attitude. And so, do you come prepared with the best attitude to give the best effort and to believe in yourself? So it really goes back to those three words earlier. Do you do you have a positive framework? Do you have a passion for what you're doing? And are you willing to be persistent in your endeavor? And, and if you're willing to do those things, if you're willing to be positive, to believe in yourself and to have confidence in yourself and to know that you can control, not completely, but you can certainly control to some degree the outcome, that you have the ability to affect the future through your attitude. So that's something we preach pretty consistently. Do you know what your passion is? Do you know what makes you want to get up and put the work in that's going to allow you to be successful? And are you willing to just not quit? You know, I think about Jim Valvano, you know, never give up, never, ever give up. And so just after the Super Bowl, so Monday practice last week, we're sitting there, and we usually do a little quick um, discussion before we start practice with track and field. And I said, did you guys watch Super Bowl last night? Most of them raised their hand, they had. And I said, well, what, what did we learn from the Super Bowl last night? Don't quit. That's right, you can't quit. I said, if you notice, Tom Brady comes out after halftime as convinced they were going to win that Super Bowl, down, what was it, 28 to 3 at some point? 23? 28 to 3, 25 point comeback, biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. And yet, Tom Brady never once quit believing, and he certainly refused to quit. He could have quit. Being down 25 points is a reason to quit in most football games, and he did not quit. So, we always look for those lessons to say, you know, how do you make sure that you have the right attitude, that you want to put the right work ethic in, and that you simply refuse to quit? And I think if you'll take those types of lessons, I know that you'll be successful in life. It's just a matter of how successful and what path, what, what course are you charting for yourself will largely determine exactly how high you can go in life. But, but we use every opportunity we can to reinforce those messages. Because I'm going to tell you right now, as much as I love track and field and coaching athletes and hopefully helping them to win state championships or at least compete at the highest level with their God-given ability, um, it's, it's about life. If if we're not coaching them for the game of life, then we are doing them a disservice. If it's just about the outcome of our sport so we can gain glory for ourselves, I don't want any part of it. That's not what this is about. This is about shaping young men and shaping young women so they can be the best human beings they can possibly be. Because after four years of high school, I won't have them again. They move on to something else, and I want to believe that the short time they had with us has prepared
2: them to be successful in life. Sure. I'll give you a little bit of a plug to, to ask my next question, but you're also the owner of, on the side, because you don't have enough other things going on, uh, a group called Momentum Consulting, and that's a service that, and I'll, I'll read this here just to make sure I don't get it uh, incorrect, examines and explores how organizations develop and improve in an effort to help others succeed by sharing lessons and ideas learned along the way. Uh, recently, your series of weekly videos focused specifically On how to deal with, how to approach, how to best utilize the generation of Millennials. Do you believe that Millennials, generally speaking, are less motivated nowadays to, quote-unquote, play outside or to participate in team sports? Have you seen a decline in that since your playing days?
0: Um, you know, I don't know the numbers. I'm sure there's data that suggests whether there's a decline with the millennial generation. I know there's a decline with civic clubs um, in the millennial generation, so they're less inclined to join groups like Kiwanis and Rotary. But I don't think that's because of an inherent failure of the generation itself. I think that's probably because these organizations, whether they're civic clubs or teams, have yet to fully understand how to motivate millennials. So my sense is that millennials are eager to be involved and to make a difference and to work as teams. In fact, in one of my uh, Facebook sessions I talk about millennials are c- collaborative creatures, that they're really wired to work together. That comes from the Bob the Builder influence of, can we fix it? And the idea is, yes, we can. And and so, no, I, I think they're very collaborative. I know they want to get involved. They have to believe in what they're getting involved in. And so for millennials in particular, finding a passion, finding a sense of meaning and purpose, it's absolutely vital. And when they are with a team, whether that's a workplace team or a sport team or a volunteer team, and they specifically know why they're doing what they're doing, and they understand that meaning, and they understand that mission, that purpose, that vision, then they're much more likely to give 130%, 150%, 200% of their energy and effort. Now, don't, don't mistake me, though. Millennials, which you are one, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, also like to have their time to themselves. They also like to enjoy life. They're very well-rounded in the sense that it's not all work. There has to be some play. And so I think it's just the opposite. I think as, as leaders like myself can more fully understand the millennial generation and really embrace what they mean, then not only will we see them involved in activities, we'll see them involved to, to degrees that, that we haven't ever seen other generations get involved, maybe with the exception of the greatest generation, which was forced involvement to some extent because if they didn't step up, sure. we'd have a totally different world. But I believe there's a quote I use on one of my Facebook posts that 87% of millennials, might have been 84% of millennials, say that they want to make a positive difference in the world. 84%. I mean, we're not talking a small percentage here. Almost nine out of 10 are saying they want to work for companies that allow them to make a meaningful impact by volunteering in the world. So they want to be involved. We just have to figure out how to get them meaningfully involved and then to make sure they understand what that mission, vision, and purpose is. And they'll stick around and do more than we ever could imagine.
2: From a sports perspective, too, I know that you're a big advocate. And then talk about getting involved at the high school level of not just nailing yourself down to one sport if you can help it, but really spreading yourself as thin as, po- as possible and, and being involved with, with lots of different activities because it really does help you improve in a lot of different areas not just the one that you're trying to focus on or maybe you're you're better at shortly we're going to have on julian tackett the commissioner of the kentucky high school uh, athletic association and i know that he is a big supporter of multi-sport athletes and making sure that you're well-rounded and not just specializing in one sport what's your what's your pitch for why you believe if given the opportunity High school student-athletes should pursue more than one sport during their career.
0: Well, first and foremost, because the science tells us that
2: it's the best thing for kids.
0: So your muscles more more fully round and develop as a result of multiple sports. So, for instance, if you love football and you only play football, then your muscle starts to condition to the movements that are really, really good for football, but but doesn't develop in other ways because it's only doing the same type of routine, same type of movements. Now, I understand that coaches can variate their exercises to try to augment and supplement those movements. But largely, if you're a football player, you're going to be pretty good at straight line running. You may have some agility movements that allow your hip flexors to more fully develop, to allow your ACL and MCLs to more fully develop, um, to, to allow your muscle groups to truly round out. But but they're largely going to be conditioned to football movements, which means they're going to be limited to how well they develop and how strong they can completely become because they're just being pushed in one direction. I mean, the whole move of CrossFit, for instance, this whole CrossFit craze is built on the notion that you put all these different types of activities and exercises together so you can more fully develop every muscle. Well, that's no different when you play multiple sports. So when you're a volleyball player and a basketball player and a track athlete, which is what my daughter does, and volleyball season is really helping you with that quick upward explosiveness, your vertical right. and very short moves. Basketball season is going to go around your muscle group for more of that agility and lateral movement in addition to longer sustained burst. And then track season is going to come behind that and really push your muscles for that longer endurance for those fast twitch muscle fibers to be fully developed because you're exercising and being conditioned in ways that's specifically about those fast twitch muscle fibers, which then come back to volleyball season It's increased your vertical comes back to basketball seasons, increase your explosiveness down the court, your quickness to the ball. And so all of these things play together. That's not my opinion. That's the science. Multi-sport athletes do better in their sports than than single-sport athletes do. It may be counterintuitive. I know there are coaches out there that would want to argue that point. And I, some of them around this community who think, well, you have to specialize in this sport. You're getting left behind if you don't just play this one sport, you know, winter, spring, summer, and fall. When the truth is, the multi-sport athlete is the one that's going to leave you behind over time. Right. Now they may come into the early part of the season and be rusty in that sport, but you don't win in the early part of the season. You win, and you should be considered if you're worried about winning. But well, how do we perform when we get to postseason? When we get to the late parts of the season, when the wins really count and matter the most, and and so those multi-sport athletes, they may start a little rusty for you if they did track in the spring and didn't do club soccer, they might come back to you in the summer months and not be as ready for soccer-specific skills as some of those other that just focus on soccer. But wait and see what happens in September when that strength and that conditioning and that endurance was built into them and that starts to manifest itself in September and October when you compete at the highest level. And so I would certainly encourage athletes, um, if not at least, do a, a second sport. I understand in today's world specialization coaches, I don't want to use the word punish athletes, but playing time can diminish if you're not with them year-round. And and I don't know why that seems to be the way some coaches view the world, um, but I would encourage those athletes find at least one other sport. You don't have to do three sports, you don't have to do four sports, but find one other sport. Because not only will it condition your muscles better, It'll also teach you different team dynamics. It'll teach you how to respond to a different coach. It'll teach you how to respond to a different set of players. And that's the game of life. I mean millennials, we talked about them earlier. Millennials are said to jump jobs at least ten times or more over the course of their career. So they're not gonna have one coach. We're gonna have multiple coaches. So playing for multiple coaches, playing with multiple teams will prepare you not only to be a better athlete, but prepare you for the game of life more successfully as well.
2: As we mentioned several times you're uh, an active mayor, a guy that, that enjoys to to work out. You believe in fitness. I know you're obviously a giant advocate of the trails that we have here in Uptown, which is a, of great pride for you. A, a story that played out publicly uh, on Christmas Eve, which I know is uh, something you haven't talked about a whole lot publicly. Uh, but the fact that uh, you had a pretty scary situation and that you suffered a heart attack. I did. And that was on a day where you were being active and you were out walking as a part of a, of an event and and taking advantage of the, the fine facilities that we have in this in this town has was it difficult and has it been difficult to redefine your your fitness and kind of scale things back and are you are you feeling better are you doing are you doing better.
0: Um, first, let me clarify something that you said, and it was reported this way in our local newspaper, who I'm a big fan of. Um, I was running as part of the jingle bell jog. I was not walking as part of the jingle bell jog. And, uh, and, and in fact, I was in one of the lead groups, if I remember correctly, and, uh, I, I love to run. I've been a runner since my early days, and God gifted me with more fast twitch muscle fibers than anything else. I usually am a sprinter, um, but over the course of age, I've, I've understood that I can't sprint my way to health. I have to, find a way to be a 5K runner, a 10K runner, Thanks. things of that nature. So I was out running on Christmas Eve and um, and experienced a mild heart attack just after finishing the Jingle Bell jog. I've joked with my son, Chase, 13-year-old, runs cross-country and uh, throws shot put and runs track. Um, he beat me that day. In fact, he won that day. He went out fast and I thought good for him because I hadn't seen him go out that fast and he just stayed way out in front. So I joked with him afterwards that him beating me for the first time broke my heart and uh, he thought that was kind of funny and I certainly meant it that way. Um, but I did have a mild heart attack afterwards and uh, it was classified mild after the fact. I've sure. I, I told Chris several people that if that's mild, I never want anything more than that. All the classic symptoms of short, short of breath, uh, the pressure on the chest, the left arm aching, breaking into the cold sweat. All of those things uh, began about 10 minutes after I completed the run that day and uh, persisted for about another 10 to 15 minutes. Um, I had Chase in the vehicle with me with my wife, Faye. We'd all run together, and I didn't want to go straight to the emergency room and scare him. And so I got him home, and as soon as we pulled in the driveways, I looked at her and basically said, we're going to have to take me to the emergency room. I think I'm having a heart attack. And uh, That's what it was later diagnosed as, and luckily we had a great emergency room here at Jenny Stewart Medical Center that got it quickly diagnosed and got some medication in me that helped free the clot that was causing the problem. I got up to Baptist Hospital in Madisonville where they took great care of me for a couple days over the Christmas break and uh, did the catheterization, found the blockage. I had 100% blockage of my right coronary artery, uh, which helps to oxygenate the blood, and um, or excuse me, that helps to flow the blood that oxygenates the heart and, and the rest of the body. And, um, and once they got that cleared and stinted, then it's just been a matter of recovery. And I actually start my cardiac rehab tomorrow. Um, I guess it's just nice irony of life that I start my cardiac rehab on Valentine's Day. And I'm looking forward to getting started because I'm looking forward to getting back out to exercising the way that I want to exercise. And so, yes, it's been an adjustment. Um, I really enjoy running, not just for the weight control. It's great for weight loss and weight control. In fact, I think it's better than any other thing I've ever done. I've had swimmers tell me swimming's better. I'm not a great swimmer, so it's just not one I'm willing to try. But of all the other activities I've participated in, running sheds the weight better than just about anything I've ever participated in. It really keeps you lean and it keeps you healthy. And and before, as I say that, I'm thinking, well, that sounds ironic, keeps you healthy. And I had a heart attack after running. My dad passed away at 64 from heart disease. My mother's had double bypass surgery. So for me, it's mostly genetic, probably with a layer of stress that caused the heart attack, but mostly genetic. And uh, And so, in fact, the doctor told me that because I was in such good physical shape, I mean, I don't say that. I, I want to say that, and I hope it sounds with some humility. I'm not bragging, but sure. this is what the doctor, Dr. Patia, specifically said. He said, you're obviously exercised. You're obviously in good shape. That's why there's no permanent damage to your heart. So the genetics were working against me. The exercise was working for me. It just happened that the heart attack coincided with exercise, which made sense because I was straining the heart while running. And so that blockage manifested itself and created the conditions that led to the heart attack. Um, but, but I love to run not only for the physical shape, but for the mental aspect. Go for a good three or four mile run. And I don't usually run any further than three or four miles. I've got friends and colleagues that run seven, eight, nine, 10 miles. For me, I want a 30 to 40 minute workout where I can go mentally cleanse as well as break a really good sweat and then get back to the other things I'm going to do that day. Um I don't have these burning desires to run marathons or half marathons. The farthest race I've run is a 10-mile race, the AUSA 10-miler in Washington DC. I think I've run that four times. Um, I'm not that competitive when it comes to distance running. I really do it for keeping in shape and mental cleansing. And those are my two primary motivators. I I wasn't blessed with the long distance running ability. I was blessed with short bursts. So I've never pretended that I'm suddenly going to go win every 5K I've ever been in. I'm fairly competitive, but I don't really run for time. I just run to stay in shape and to be get rid of stress and to be mentally sharp. And when you're on a good 30 or 40 minute run in the country here in Christian County where we have some beautiful landscape to run, um, you can see some great things that just make you feel at peace. You have time to think about things. So so yeah, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to get back at it. In the meantime, I've been walking. Um, I've still been doing some light weight training. I mean, really, really light. Uh, and so yesterday, I was up at the YMCA while Chase and Faye ran. Um, my daughter doesn't run right now because basketball is putting a lot of wear and tear on her body. So I'm not encouraging her to do a lot of running on the mm-hmm. side. Um, but we were up there. I, I walked my twenty one laps, which is just shy of two miles, while they did their running and then did some ten pound dumbbells, which is embarrassing for me to say, but that's what I'm allowed to do right now. And I don't even know that I'm allowed to do that. You want to push it. But I'm not pushing it. Yep. But I, I can't stand the thought of, of losing too much physical conditioning. And as much as anything, it's mental. It's just mental for me. It's it helps me to be sharp. It helps me to have the endurance, the persistence I need, uh, to make sure that I fight through whatever we need to fight through to see
2: success in this community. For obvious reasons I'm I'm so thankful that you're okay and that you're obviously on the path back to good health and, and uh, in, a, in good shape. But for even big bigger picture reasons, I'm glad that you're okay because I'm thankful to be a part of this community for an array of reasons, but one of which is is your leadership and the fact that you do have such a great vision for lots of things, particularly for my selfish reasons, from a, an athletic support and really wanting this community to be very active. I'll let you kind of close today because I know you got to get going. But we won't get into a lot of specifics. You can if you'd like to. I know you have a lot of goals for what Hopkinsville can become in terms of being a a true destination for athletics and for activity and for prospering from sporting events and and tournaments and things that we have the ability and the capability to 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 bring to town right now what are your not what are what is your your primary goal from that standpoint and i know that's probably a very loaded question but how would you ideally picture hopkinsville and being kind of a, a mecca of of sports and athletics and youth tournaments and that sort of thing for the western part of the state absolutely well First what I want for Hopkinsville is
0: that we have the right attitude and approach to our community. That we believe in ourselves enough to invest in ourselves. That we, when we say we want to make something happen, that we're willing to put the sacrifice in place to make those things happen. Every team of of, of any sport or any activity. Again, you think about Hopkinsville High School band, state champions this past fall and band, um, or or an or, or an ag um, activity where roping or or showing livestock, or whatever it may be, requires an incredible amount of sacrifice to be good at it. And so we in Hopkinsville have had a long history of saying we want something, but then stopping short of the sacrifice necessary to get that something. And so we have to have the attitudinal approach that says, if we believe we want it, that we're willing to put the work in and to make the sacrifice necessary that leads to success and victory. If we're not willing to do those things, we never really wanted it in the first place. We just said we did, But then we weren't willing to live up to what we're saying we want. So attitude is the first thing. How do we help this community continue to develop a can-do, positive, passionate, persistent attitude? So that's number one for me. And in the process of doing that, then it'll take care of some of these other facilities and amenities and features that we want to help create. We're blessed in this community. We have great people in a great geographic proximity. We're an hour to an hour and 15 minutes away from Nashville, from Paducah, from Evansville, from Owensboro, from Henderson, from Bowling Green, it puts us in the middle of all these large communities that are also sports communities and and youth activity communities in their own right. but because of our proximity, we have the potential to be a destination city for families as they travel, soccer tournaments for um ag for for ag activities at an AG exposition center um, like Four 4-H. And, Um, Again, livestock showing, uh, roping, um, rodeoing, and all that kind of good stuff that can be done in an Ag Expo facility. We've got the geographic proximity. We've got the spirit where we want to have it here. Now we just have to make the commitment to invest in ourselves in a way that allows us to be that destination city. Let me be clear, Chris. I want us to be a destination city not because it will bring any glory to any individual, In fact, it may happen in a timeline where I won't even be mayor again. I haven't made my mind up about re-election at this point. Um, I think I lean that way, uh, but I want to see how my heart fully recovers, and I want to make sure that my family is ready for me to do this again for another four years, should I desire to do it for another four years. And hopefully the community will support me if I do. Um, But putting that aside... This is so we can bring more and more people to a community that I love, that I know is one of the best communities in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And we need to showcase to more and more of the Commonwealth of Kentucky what makes Hopkinsville so awesome. And when we get more people coming here, whether it's for soccer or volleyball or AAU basketball or baseball or 4-H or band competitions or cheer competitions, I don't really care what the activity is. I just want more people to come into Hopkinsville to experience it for the great things that I know it represents. And then, yes, ultimately to spend a little bit more of their disposable income here. Because, goodness gracious, we go to lots of other places and take our disposable income out of this community time and time and time again. Meanwhile, they grow and we stay relatively stagnant. So if we want to change that dynamic, then we have to give reasons for people to want to come here and to live here. And if we do enough of that, then we'll get more millennials here We'll get more military here, and we'll get more families here experiencing what makes this community an awesome place. And I know when they do that, they're going to be excited and keep coming back.
2: Amazing stuff from Mayor Carter Hendricks here in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. I have a feeling we could probably talk for a few hours. That felt like five minutes. We went 10 times that long. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for, for, for taking some time for us this morning, for starting your week here on the Young Sports Podcast really appreciate the the commitment that you have to athletics to sports to local sports to the community and being that active person i can tell you from my vantage point and from my seat it's inspiring to to, to watch that and for somebody that is a sports fan and that makes his living being involved with in sports it's pretty neat to see the the leader of this town be all in when it comes to athletics so thank you for your commitment Thank you for everything that you do, and we are very glad that that you're feeling better and and on the road to recovery, and hope you're in this role for a long, long time. Well, Chris, we appreciate
0: you as well. Thank you for the very kind words, but I'll just end it with this, if you don't mind. I know you've got to move on. So Tuesday night after our city council meeting, we'll re-approve some of these projects on first reading that I'm hoping will take place. I had to hit the road to Frankfurt, and I hated it because I was missing the UHA versus Christian County High School basketball game over at UHA, uh, two very good basketball teams. but thankfully. Because if you're excellent tweeting on your Twitter feed, I was able to follow almost in real time um, your feed. Now, I was following it on the radio before I got out of radio range. But you do a fantastic job. And in my humble opinion, and you can tell Mr. Tackett I said this too, you're the best sports editor we've got in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And that's not just my opinion. The kids love you and they love you because they know you care and they know you go the extra mile to cover their sports. So keep doing the great job you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate Absolutely. that.
2: That's Mary Carter Hendricks joining us on the Young Sports Podcast. We'll be right back with some more. All right, we are back here on the Young Sports Podcast. The Kentucky High School... Athletic Association, the agency responsible for managing high school athletics around the Commonwealth, has been sanctioning state championships, providing insurance, and overseeing coaching, education, and sports safety programs since 1917, making this year the 100th anniversary of their organization. The KHSAA, which currently includes 280 public and private member member schools and approximately 70,000 student-athletes, has a 16-person staff as well as a board of control that meets regularly in an effort to enforce, engage, and enhance within the bylaws and standards set forth by the association. The person at the helm of this year-round effort is Commissioner Julian Tackett, who joins us today on the Young Sports Podcast. And Commissioner, we are gearing up for another round of state championship events this weekend, and are now one week away from the start of postseason basketball this is a very busy time for you and your team, so thank you so much for taking some time to join us here today.
3: That's not a problem at all, Chris. We enjoy doing it, and, uh, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of it. We had bowling last weekend, and we're rolling right along with wrestling this week, and as you say, then, our uh, swimming championship and the basketball championship start next week, and so it's, um, it's a great time to be involved in sports. We've been blessed. If the weather turns south... Tomorrow, we couldn't complain because we've been blessed by a very mild winter and very few game cancellations and some exciting opportunities
2: to watch these kids do some great things. Now, I don't want to aid you too much here, but I know that in my research and the job that I do, I I often am looking for the historical side of things. We have a lot of tradition, as you know, in this part of the state and particularly in Hopkinsville and with Christian County and, and so forth. In digging some of that stuff out, I'll sometimes come across PDFs of the athlete and, and items like that that have your name on it from an editing standpoint. And you've been doing this for a long time in different different positions and, and playing different roles and wearing different hats. How long have you been with the KHSA now?
3: Well, you know, it's funny. I, I started out as an event worker. I worked uh, on the press table for the '79. A Boys state tournament here in Lexington, and basically just never left. Uh, I became our first sports information director in '84 the '83. It's telling the '83-'84 school year. You know, my administrative assistant Marilyn Mitchell. She reminded me early this school year we were having our 100th anniversary, and I'd been here one third of them. So that, that, that kind of popped a few gray hairs out of the old head. But, you know, just been around a long time, been very blessed. Uh, came along at the right time and uh, had plenty of opportunities to try to do something else. But what more, what could give you more satisfaction than working with these kids and coaches and officials and, and, and all of these fantastic school administrators we've got on a year-round basis. So just kind of stayed here. And uh, I always tell them around the office they've been trying to get rid of me for about 30 years and just can't find a good excuse, I guess. But but it's been a it's been a, a, a lifelong
2: labor of love. And I've still got a few years left in the tank if they'll let me stay. Sure. And you are celebrating a pretty prolific milestone this year. What are the plans to celebrate the, the 100th anniversary of the KHSAA? Well, you know, it, it's, it's,
3: it's always a catch-22 when you look at at, look at it milestones and celebrating. We, we've had a little bit... Of recognition and celebration at each one of our events and we have 17 championships and, and I just you know the, the number one responsibility of the person that run running this office is to be sure we're open tomorrow so we can continue to provide services for these kids in schools and so I just did not think it very wise that we try to do spend a bunch of money do some crazy stuff with our schools you know dues and resources so we've kept it kind of low key we've done some uh, some celebratory things we've done some little recognition gifts and branded the 100th year and and uh we've done a lot of what we could do we had actually set aside some money over the last few years but to be honest with you chris it just didn't seem it didn't seem like a smart thing to do to just go out and and start spending on a birthday party sure. quite frankly we just said we'd keep going and we'll do a little more you'll hear a lot about the 100th at our basketball tournament not because the boys basketball tournament's any more important but the boys basketball tournament this is our 100 this is what the boys basketball tournament is why we were founded there were other groups of principals that tried to hold a "quote-unquote" state championship for a couple of years, and everybody moaned and groaned and fought. And they finally said, "Let's just form an organization that can can take it and run with it." And hence, we were formed. So, you know, three years later, we added track, and from there on out, we've added to where we're now at seventeen different championships uh, championship offerings. So, you know, we, we'll do a little bit with basketball and celebrate a lot, and then we'll work with our basketball coaches association next year. As They celebrate what they have branded the centennial of basketball um, and
2: and celebrate for a year long all the great things that basketball has afforded our state. Sure. It's pretty amazing when you make that that list uh, verbal like that and you kind of talk about all the different sports that are considered championship sports and and ones that are recognized and sanctioned and so forth. Like you mentioned, we're coming off a week where the state bowling champions were, were crowned. Some of the newer ones and and really of interest, particularly, again, in this area that are are still new, Uh, bass fishing and archery are are on that list now. Pretty awesome list. Do you see any on the horizon that could possibly be new sanctioned sports that maybe are in in discussion or that you could see personally uh, down the road becoming a a KHSA state state championship sport? Well, I I think
3: it's only a matter of time before we have Championship. I think it'll, it'll take some time for our schools. Historically, what needs to happen is people begin to play. They begin to like it. Their neighbors start playing. They begin to like it. Their neighbors start playing. And then when we get to a threshold of 50 schools that want to hold a championship, that's when our board looks at it for the purpose of having a championship. Certainly the, the first real in a team sport area uh, in a long time, probably since soccer, I guess, or the conversion of softball uh, is lacrosse. Um, But it is right now centered in the urban areas. Uh, It does require pretty good space and land, Mm -hmm. and on the boys' side, there's a pretty significant equipment cost, so we're very in tune to what the schools have to spend on activities uh, and what they have to spend on athletics. We also know that every dollar spent on athletics comes back to the community. We know that it's the absolute best investment our schools and school systems can make in dropout prevention. And in trying to get people college and career ready, is participation in sports. There's simply too much data out there about it to, to deny that. So, you know, we'll probably look at that. I, if I were putting a timeline on it, I'd say probably in the next five, six years you'll see that. Maybe a little sooner uh, will be the addition of another activity. You know, we, we've had a – it's interesting. We have one uh, – Potential championship activity that really causes quite the conundrum uh, for our school people. We have a lot of people that are interested, and certainly a lot in your area, interested in a trap shooting competition. Hmm. And Minnesota and a couple of other states have that, and yet the idea of a school promoting a live ammunition sport does. There are some people that that doesn't resonate with very well. So we're, sure. you know, they're trying to figure out a balance here.
2: That's interesting. Uh, that that seems like it could be open to a lot of conversations, and, and could be one that, uh, like you said, would would maybe draw some some different opinions in terms of getting that up and running. So a, a lot a lot goes into that decision making, and it's not like you're just there willy nilly saying, "How do I feel this day?" You've got a lot of people that, that you answer to who make sure the checks and balances are in place and. Uh, a lot goes into decisions that are ultimately made within your organization. That's the, correct. Oh, I've no doubt about it, and we've
3: got a, we've got a lot of stakeholders. You know, you threw out one number. I give you some numbers I always use when I get a chance to talk to groups. We last year we had seventy four thousand participants as kids. We had twelve thousand coaches, wow. a little over four thousand officials. In around 280 member schools so that is a that is a saturation of our state's population and with that comes an awesome responsibility not to make knee-jerk reactions and not to make a uh, quick judgment you've got to really try to seek all kinds of stakeholder input real quick i can give you an example when we first looked at adding archery as a championship there's multiple styles of archery and it came down to the fact that that there was a, a group starting something at that point called 3d archery which simulates hunting Mm-hmm. And through all the feedback we got, uh, our advisory group and the people around us thought it was better to start a target archery program than to start a program that simulated killing of animals that then might invite activist groups to get involved, objecting to what was a really good intentioned activity. You know, you really got to balance a lot of things. So we spend the majority of our year taking input from, from stakeholders and kind of filter out what is, um, what's noise, and what are, what are things we really need to be listening to, and then try to make the best decisions possible. So you're right, it's not something that you could just uh, step in, push a button, and say, let's happen. Even right down to when we're going to add an activity, we have an every three-year cycle of uh, surveying our schools on what they're interested in adding, and we will do that again in 1718. 18. The, the difficult part for us right now is we're turning over 20 to 25% of our athletic and school administrators every year. Mm -hmm. So we'll have people next year taking the survey who the majority of which have never taken that survey before. So it's really, you know, the dynamics within our school are really, really unusual right now.
2: Sure. And I think sometimes that's uh, something that may be lost on folks when they think about everything that has to be handled. When you add up those numbers that you gave me a minute ago, is it ever... Do you ever feel pressure over the fact that you're dealing with a decision that affects roughly a hundred thousand people? Oh,
3: without question, there, it's a it's a it's an awesome responsibility. Uh, at the same time, uh, an eligibility decision that really impacts one kid mm-hmm. is an awesome responsibility. So it, it's something that you have to take very serious. Going uh, every time you take a
2: look at something. Sure. Uh, we talked earlier in the show with Hopkinsville Mayor Carter Hendricks, who also coaches the University Heights Academy track team here in town. Uh, he advocated during his appearance today for student athletes to consider playing more than just the one sport. I know that you are a, a huge advocate of that also in terms of playing multiple sports in high school, as am I. What is your your stance in, in kind of taking that route opposed to specializing at a young age, particularly in this case in high school? Why why do you feel like it's important to try to go beyond just that one single sport at the high school level?
3: Well, number one, you're never going to be a child again. So let's talk ethereal at first. You've only got one chance to enjoy being a kid. You know, so so you do not do that by doing the same drudgery over and over. That's why they don't allow really young people to work in factories to put on the same bolt every day. Mm-hmm. They, they want you to experience different things. And secondly, is all the medical data, all the, the repetitive injury studies are showing that you may think specialization is good, that you're going to somehow be better because you play more. But a great deal of your athletic ability and talent you got at birth you either got it or you didn't sure. and that comes from being involved not only here but having been involved at, at, at with athletic teams all my life i mean there's there's a certain thing you, you either you, you know i can go out and run the hundred every day if i want to and i still might not be any faster a year from now because certain elements of that are just they're 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 born into you, so why not do some things to cross train muscles? That's what all the medical data is showing. You know, pitch for a little while, throw baseball for a little while, and then take three or four months off and go shoot some baskets, or go wrestle a little bit, or go play some football in the fall. Uh, and you you never know that you might discover something you didn't really you didn't really think you knew you liked. The other thing about it, though, that, that you've got to do, and this is a constant crusade, is to convince the worst judges of athletic ability, which are parents, to take a a more honest look at their young person. I don't care the most supportive parent in the world can sit there and they'll go to a weekend basketball tournament and say, you know, now three years from now, my boy's going to be recruited over to University of Kentucky. And you can generally tell by the time a kid's 12, 13, 14 years old if they're going to be able to play at that level. And it doesn't matter how much, you, how many weekends you play, and how much money you spend playing all over the country. Same thing baseball, same thing softball. You, you, you've you've lost out on that opportunity for experience with different peer groups. At the same time, you probably haven't really improved your chances. It's just not. Uh, again, all the data shows that you're better to do the muscle, the muscle cross training, everything. You're better to do a little of of everything than to do a lot of anything. Those and. and The other thing that I would say, and I say this to parents all the time when I get a chance to talk to parent groups, if you are good enough to play and earn money to play college, they'll find you. You don't need to play every day and, oh, if I don't go to this tournament in Nashville, I'm just not going to get a scholarship. That's the biggest bunch of hooey in the world. Because if you can play, people will find you. And I know that what we're fighting right now is the cost of education continues to spiral. Mm -hmm. And and it goes very high. And then we have parents who unknowingly are setting themselves up for what the NCAA people call the cocktail party scholarship. And that's the student that gets the $500 grant to go to the $15,000 school so the parents can stand at the cocktail party and say, my boy got a scholarship. It, did he really when he got $500 out of 15000 Uh, Could he have gotten 1500 if he'd have worked a little harder in his math subjects? Or he, I don't know that. We don't know. But that's why you you just should never tunnel into any one thing. You should try a little bit of everything because, again, you never get
2: another opportunity to be a young person. Interesting. I played a lot of sports when I was younger and as many as I could to get good at yeah. one, and I never found that ability. So I finally just realized – I have to write about people playing sports because that's the only (laughs) way I'm going to be involved with it. it it's funny, my younger brother
3: says to this day that I've got the most appropriate job for any person that's ever grown up because I was making the rules up in the games we played my whole life. And every time he got a little bit better, I would change the rules to where I could be back on top. And so he said, I've got the absolute most custom-made job. But I was one of those that was a little above average in a lot of things and not really outstanding at anything.
1: So, you
2: know, other than the fact I could hit a baseball and golf a mile, or really, I never knew where they were going,
3: so I'm not sure it's, it's that's any
2: good either. Do you have a favorite sport that you over that you obviously get to watch a lot of them? and in, in what you do, is there one that's I've had the blessing here at one point in time when I was an assistant for 20 some years.
3: I ran six different championships. And I truly love the track meet as much as I love the basketball tournament, as much as I love the football playoffs, as much as I love state wrestling. It was, it's just, it is that chance. I've always thrived on number one, staying extremely busy. I do not do well with idle time. I've got to have a bunch of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's just a little variety. And, uh, you know, if I've got one that I'll sit and watch more, I'll probably watch more football and basketball, but I think that's because they play more football and basketball. So there's more opportunities. And in the springtime, uh, if I'm not at a high school baseball game, I'm generally somewhere outside watching a track meet. So, you know, it's just, you just get used to doing them all. And the people that you meet, uh, Chris, are just unbelievable. You mentioned the coach down there. All these coaches that, that toil in obscurity in most of these sports. They're working behind the scenes. And unless you guys decide to write an article about them one time or something, nobody ever hears about them. And yet they're there every day serving as, at worst case, A highly qualified, highly intelligent babysitter for your kids for two and a half hours. And at the same time, they're probably also, uh, I I go back to this, I've been out of high school a long time now. I graduated in 78, and my math fails me, so it's coming up on 40 years, I guess. But I can't, unfortunately, I can't name you a lot of my academic instructors. I can name you every single coach I played for. Hmm assistant coach, volunteer coach, or anything. Coaches make an impression on kids. that lasts forever. Okay. And that means this business that we're in, athletics,
2: is worthwhile. We've got a small private school here in Hopkinsville, Heritage Christian Academy, that's played for many years within the Kentucky Christian Athletic Association. If they ever decided, hey, we want to join the KHSAA, we think it's time to, to take a step forward in our athletic process, is there an application process schools have to go through for that sort of thing, or, and if they do, and we're accepted, what's the benefit of a school joining the KHSAA? Well, there's a lot of things.
3: Uh, um, yes, there is an application process. Um, new schools joining, as a matter of fact, we just had a new school join this year, Cornerstone Christian down in London, is a first year member. The first two years they're a member, they can play our schools, but they cannot play postseason competition. So they would be sitting out for a little bit. A lot of times they're really small ones start out. uh, They pay the dues, therefore they get the catastrophic insurance for the students. Mm -hmm. Um, They get those kind of things. They get an opportunity to play our schools in anything they want to. Because if you're not a member, as you said, Heritage, they can't play our members. So Heritage can't go across town and play University Heights or Hopkinsville or Christian County. And they may not want to. But if they did want to, they couldn't without being a member. So they get the privilege of participation against our teams. And then we work with them. We've got a new process that's really just getting cranked up where we'll kind of mentor them for a couple of years and helping them get athletic policies together because, like it or not, there's going to be people that say, well, you know, sports it's just sports. Everything's going to be honest and open and above board, and they just don't have a clue that as soon as you start playing people start looking to to find a way around rules i jokingly said that the second year of our bass fishing tournament mm-hmm. i validated the fact that it was going to be a legitimate sport because we had people uh, put mercury in the tail of a fish at a weigh-in one day and i said you know if they're cheating it's a real sport you know Dale Earnhardt once said that you know if you're not cheating, you're not racing. And I think that in some ways, people that think everything is all pure, then that unfortunately, that's not true. Right. And that's why the association has rules. That's why we we require schools to talk, rat on each other, talk about each other, hold each other accountable. We don't hear about ten percent of the things that go on because our schools will call each other and they'll say, Now look, you got a chance to fix this. If you don't, I'm going to the state." Right. And most of the time, they'll fix it right then. And that's the way associations are supposed to work. We're not an enforcement agency. We're a regulatory body. We set rules. We do have to enforce things periodically. But mm-hmm. but we we really our success is based on our
2: members policing each other. Sure. Basketball does remain king in Kentucky, like you mentioned earlier on. This is the 100th Sweet 16 coming up, which is remained sponsored by Whitaker Bank. Uh, the girls' Sweet 16 sponsored by Saint Elizabeth Healthcare. Uh, but that, that boys' tournament, obviously, got a lot of tradition, a lot of interest. It remains a, a single-class basketball tournament that the KHSA puts on, which means we crown one boys' and one girls' champion for the Commonwealth. Do you believe that's what continues to make basketball so intriguing and so popular in Kentucky? I
3: think it is one of the many things that that sets us apart in a positive way. Uh, we don't give it a by trophy. We don't divide up, and we don't do that in anything except football because where the numbers just surely almost mandate you do it. And track, I think because we started out doing it that way, we kept doing it that way. The rest of the sports, we have one champion, and therefore um, there's a lot of competition for that. I happen to believe that it has proven itself to be the best way to do it now. That said, we're a membership organization, and if the members, you know, by and large, and I mean by majority numbers, decided they didn't like it that way, they probably have to change. But they better be, you know, anybody wanting to change better be fully prepared for what you're asking for. Because one of the things that we have in our state, and I take you just, to, you know, to your northern border to a state that when Indiana changed theirs, it forever changed athletics, not just basketball, Mm -hmm. but it changed everything. Right now, our school, we are the only state in the country that when you go next week to the district basketball tournament as a fan, and you fork over your five, six, or seven dollars, whatever they charge at the gate, you know that all of that money stays within those schools, Mm -hmm. 100%. Any other state, the state office is collecting a big portion of that. We don't need to do that because we can rely on the proceeds of the state events because they're that much bigger. So, you know, all of a sudden now you say, okay, let's take it that the first and second region, we go to classes, the first and second region, your money's all coming to the state. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, I happen to know that in the western part of the state, they pay their assigning secretaries who assign officials to all the games. They pay them out of the proceeds of the tournament. That couldn't happen anymore, so that's more local money going to have to be spent. There's less local money kept by the teams that play, it's all got to be sent to the state because somebody's got to fund a year's worth of work that and our schools expect that kind of service right so you know they're just got to be careful for a change you know that kind of change requires a total change in business model and if they're ready for that i think if you told our staff if i went tomorrow and said look the board and the legislature and everybody else involved in us has said we've got to make everybody play tennis left-handed we could run the event you put whatever conditions you want to put on we can run an event that's what we do but is it best for everybody in the state? Probably not at this point. But who knows? It could, that
2: could change. Interesting. Uh, talking about basketball, there's obviously lots of uh, people that have opinions on, for instance, the, the single class against classing basketball and so forth. I know one topic that seems to be, that comes up in, in all conversations regarding high school basketball these days. So I'll ask you the question removing the possible issue of financial implications or and manpower and technology and so forth what are your thoughts on a a shot clock is that good for high school basketball if that were ever to be in, introduced you know it, a, a, there's a
3: quote that's attributed to Harry Truman and I'm getting ready to go on the basketball rules committee so I'm going to have to deal with this decision for a while naturally mm-hmm. um but but um there's a quote that's attributed to Harry Truman where he stepped up and said, I can speak eloquently on both sides of that issue. I would probably say that about, about the shot clock. Um, I refereed 25 years of college basketball and football. I know what the shot clock did. I know what happened when it came in. I know that you eliminated some really tough slowdown games. In our state, our coaches, at least as of yet, do not favor the shot clock by a majority of them. We've asked our coach association a number of times to ask that question they think right now the lack of a shot clock is an equalizer it is an opportunity for a team with less talent to perhaps have a chance to win mm-hmm. there's also the argument that when you get kids in a hurry an already how do i say this an already slipping game in terms of the the old school fundamentals you know the game's already gotten fairly ragged in a lot of areas there's not a lot of picks set. there's not a lot of of uh, good passes it's all about get out and score well there's those coaches that would tell me that the shot clock would exacerbate that um so that's probably true I think you'd see more kids hurrying up. And, of course, you know, a lot of the games I've seen this year have been decent games, and they didn't need a shot clock, and you never noticed. I mean, it just was good play. They got an opportunity. They could play. So, you know, I think, you know, the, I think the issue, for one thing, I think the issue of finances is a little bit overblown. I don't really think that's an issue now. In the days of when, when everything had to be wired into a gym, mm-hmm. that was an issue. But a lot of the controllers are wireless now, and a lot of things, uh, you know, as long as you can get power somewhere, you can run a clock. So
1: sure.
3: I think that, that maybe some of that's overblown. I think it does get back to fundamentals. And, and I think it's also, I do think your two basketball topics, whether whether we see this or not, whether we see this the same or not, they kind of are interrelated. A little bit about the not-shot clock is an equalizer for the smaller schools. Um. It's a chance to maybe win by strategy and tactic instead of out. out I've only got two subs and you've got seven. Um, I, you know, that's kind of what I've heard before. So I think our, eventually that's a decision that our coaches need to make, mm-hmm. our, our actual people that are involved in it. I don't know that, I mean, our administrators would probably like to be out of the games a few minutes earlier. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it, I don't care what our staff thinks, quite frankly, because I think more than anything, this should be driven
2: by the membership. Sure. I know one thing that was very foreign to me when I became the the sports editor here in Hopkinsville was the this idea of the rampant transferring that takes place really in between the schools right here in our own district. It seems to happen a lot and I know that's one of the the uh, the things you talked about that has to be enforced from time to time and you have to make the t- some tough decisions. Why do you think it it happens so frequently? in this area because it seems like I'm contacting you guys pretty frequently to say do you have any update on on this person getting cleared or so forth right, right. It, it's very interesting to me that it happens so frequently in in this district do you think there's a reason for that i mean i know some some families have their their situations where it it's based on moving and they have valid reasons and that sort of thing but sometimes it seems to be something a little bit different do you have any theories on that you know I-
3: part of it is you all have four totally unique situations within a very few square miles of each other.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. And I think that whether it's Fort Campbell or or University Heights or the two public schools there, which, uh, you know, have a long history of competition and competition success. And I think part of it in a lot of areas, not just in your area, but I do think part of it's societal right now. We're in a society that expects to be able to push a button and have something done. So when I push a button to pick an athletic program or start playing with an athletic program, I'm not giving it very long to get better before I think there's got to be something better somewhere else. I'm going to push another button. I think that that's true a lot of places. We deal with about 11 to 1,200 transfers a year. Now, that is... Just students who have already played for someone else and require a ruling from us. Mm-hmm. There's another probably five to 10,000 kids of all the high school kids in the state that are moving around at the high school level. We are a very transient society. Now, I say that to say that they're moving between schools, but no matter what they tell you, a lot of times they're not moving at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, they might come up with some creative paperwork. But, but they're, they're, one of the problems that we face is we are a very transparent association, even as it relates to our rules. In many cases, our parents and people interested in transferring, they know the rules better than our, our schools do. Sure. So they've gotten online, they've read the rules, they know exactly what loophole to push, they've already talked to three attorneys, and now they've got a map. So, you know, they got a roadmap of exactly what to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I think that's part of it, too. But I think we're just in a society right now that's not happy about much of anything, and we feel like a quick fix is going to, is going to be it. I don't know. It's, it's it's not going to get any less. Um, it's, not going to, it's not going to lessen, I don't believe. It's going to continue to grow. And, you know, very likely what's going to come out of Frankfurt this year is more education options and ability to move around, and that may make it even more
2: mobile. Sure. The, the last thing I'll ask you here, and then I'll let you get going, uh, obviously we're about a month away from the 100th Sweet 16 for the boys sponsored by Whitaker Bank at Rupp Arena. And going to that facility to play a high school basketball game or a series of high school basketball games for these kids, I know is just a, for some of them, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and a extraordinary opportunity to, to play on a, a legendary college floor and to have a, a chance to look up and see the banners and and know that you played in a gym where other Kentucky legends played. Two-part question here, what does make it so special about playing in Rupp? But also on the other side of that, do you see it ever leaving Rupp Arena and trying somewhere else within Kentucky? Well, let me answer your, your second question
3: first. Okay. Um, no. I don't think there's it's on the it's on the horizon at all to look at moving. As a matter of fact, we're the board's already approved an extension. Uh, I'm in final negotiations to uh, extend uh, our agreement with Rep for another number of years, mm-hmm. and part of that, well, most of that, is what our is what our ticket purchasing fans want now. I, and I say that because that that, that has to absolutely be a business driven decision. You can take a lot of things into account when you're looking at whether you have shot clockers. Mm -hmm. and whether you add a lacrosse championship or not. But you better decide the location of your premier event that brings in about a third of your budget. Uh, You better be deciding that using some pretty objective criteria. And so one of the things that, that I have said, and it's not because I live here, it's because I have been around the state. We have some fantastic state universities and, and non-state universities. Our teacher colleges are great. we got a lot of good educational entities. You know, UofL is a great place. EKU, Western, Murray, Moorhead, all those great places. Mm-hmm. But right now, if the University of Kentucky started playing their home games at Transylvania, we'd need to move our state tournament there. Our kids, our fans, our coaches simply prefer, the ones that are willing to buy in advance, et cetera, they simply prefer to play where Kentucky plays. That may change. Things change over the course of time. Did you ever think that, that newspapers would have to go through the metamorphosis? They've had to go through it. Sure. And local radio would have. Well, nobody predicted this. So, you know, I, you can never say never. But I think that, that in all likelihood, we're 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 going to be playing it for the foreseeable future, you know. Again, unless the university comes up with a different option, you know. You remember that Freedom Hall was an option in Louisville until Louisville moved out of Freedom Hall, and then it really wasn't an option because of the business model downtown. So, you know, there's really as long as we're drawing. Now, you know, even as low as we've been drawing the last couple of years, 9,000, we've had horrendous draws the last couple of years as far as fan followings. Great kids, not the kids' fault, but you had teams that you, you just you just didn't have a lot of big fan following. That's mm-hmm. just the way it works for the last couple. And as long as those are of a size the 9,000 up to 12,000 that they've been for the last eight ten years, you don't have the two gyms in the state you can play in. And one of them has a cost element that's just significantly higher than the other one. So you really don't have a lot of choice. Sure. Um, not that not that you're looking for choice. So that's kind of a sideways answer to both pieces. Um, but right now, that event, uh, we're not looking for, for any changes in that event at this
2: point. Kentucky High School Athletic Association Commissioner Julian Tackett celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. The 100th Boys Sweet 16, sponsored by Whitaker Bank, coming up in about a month girls and about the same time sponsored by St. Elizabeth Healthcare two amazing events that I definitely definitely recommend people get out to and I know that you do too Mr. Tackett thank you so much for taking some time today to to talk to our our fans here our listeners you gave some great information that I know people are really going to going to love and and digest and uh, and hopefully you'll come back and join us again soon well, Chris, I appreciate it, and hope the family's doing well. I
3: know you all made an adjustment a few years back heading west, and hope all of that's going well. And certainly to all the people in western Kentucky, uh, we not only don't forget you, we know you're there, and we, uh, we want to keep getting feedback from you and really appreciate this opportunity to get the
2: message across. Outstanding. Well, Joy, I know pitchers and catchers report today, so you're a Reds fan, right? I mean, is, unfortunately, it, I said today, I told somebody
3: I was driving somewhere, and I put an audio post on Facebook, and I said uh, pitchers and catchers reported today, and I think they were mathematically eliminated on the second pitch. But <laughs> you know, there's, there's not a lot of room for optimism right now in Reds country. But you know what?
2: Those things run in cycles. That's right. Well, it should be an exciting year for for baseball, but definitely an exciting year for Kentucky high school athletics. Some big, big time tournaments coming up this weekend. The seasons culminate, and uh, I know the catch will have those handled and 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 going very well. So thank you again for joining us, Commissioner Tackett, and we'll be right back with more Young Sports podcasts. that's a wrap on this week's episode of the young sports podcast we went a little long with our guests but we'll be sure to visit next time with wayne young in 10 minutes with dad i'd like to once again thank hopkinsville mayor carter hendricks and kentucky high school athletic association commissioner julian tackett for joining me today as well as warner brothers recording artist ryan kinder whose hit single close is the intro and outro music for this show For more information on how to become a sponsor of the Young Sports Podcast or to provide your feedback on the show, email youngsports, that's J-U-N-G, sports, at gmail.com. Wherever, whenever, or however you may be tuned in, thank you for listening and thank you for your support. And until next time, may you always be courageous, stand upright and be strong, and may you stay forever young.
1: Tonight, take it to a place we've never been Maybe we could chance it, first kiss landed Driving off the edge, baby, going all in